You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Thompson. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Ingen Jorgensen, Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormain.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Judy Camuso is the Director of Wildlife for the Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife. As Director, Judy oversees the management, protection, and enhancement of over 500 birds, mammals, reptiles, and amphibians that call Maine home. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. 500 doesn't seem like that much. Is that really the, is that actually the number? We must have gotten it from somewhere. Oh, uh, so it's probably 500 birds. Ah. It's like 16,000 invertebrates. So, okay. Yeah, All right. A little bigger than that. But, yeah. Well, yeah. thank you for clarifying because yeah. I, I don't know as much about wildlife, but I, it seemed like that number was yeah. a little on yeah. the low side. Yeah. Tell me how you got into this field. Mm. Um, I, it's an interesting question and it's, it's kind of a dull answer, but I was just always this way. So I'm an anomaly in my family. Um, and from the time I was a little kid, I was just always outside and, you know, uh, interested in nature and wildlife. So it was just a natural sort of, move, you know, career path for me. And I never, you know, really, I've never considered doing anything that didn't involve uh, animals. So I, I went from like wanting to be a farmer to veterinarian to wildlife biologist so it's a pretty natural progression for me so you say you are an anomaly in your family what but what did your family do oh my family um are, i'm from out, right outside of boston so they're just much more uh urban folks and uh more interested in skiing and golfing more traditional sort of um, boating and stuff like that but not necessarily um, <laughs> counting you know birds or uh, amphibians or whatever. So when they were out on the golf course, you were like hanging out in the rough and looking at the insects and things <laughs> like that. Is, that. is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. 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 So wildlife biology. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about that path. How does that? How do you get from A to B when you want to become a wildlife biologist? Yeah. I mean, when I started in school, it wasn't as common a field, particularly for women, as it is now, uh, and there weren't a whole lot of options or places to go. Um, so I went to the University of Vermont and I just met some folks, you know, some other students that were in this career, you know, or this uh, major program. And, you know, I started taking some of their classes and it just fit for me. It was just a, a really good fit. And I worked for a few summers at various national wildlife refuges and it was just like, you gotta be kidding me that this this could be a career this could be something that I do for my you know for my whole life and um so I'm I would say really lucky in that sort of the things I'm passionate about in life or what I get to work on um, which is it's not that common I don't think 
the day a day in the life of someone who is a wildlife biologist what the, mm. what would that look like it's totally random varies every day and it, it almost never is what you think it's going to be um, and you know there's I could tell a million stories but you know one day I for whatever reason I was I rode my bike to work and uh, you know I had a I'm a kind of a big lister so I had my regular list to do and was going over the list and on my on my bike ride in and I get there and there's a you know the other biologist that I worked with Norm at the time was he's you know he's sort of clamoring around and he's like there's a moose we just got a call from the game warden there's a moose stuck out on an island and the Androscoggin River and we need to go respond to that so I'm like all right let me get my bike clothes off here and um, change and so I go and call the game warden and start to make arrangements for that and he's all set and then within a couple minutes there's been some kind of eider die off um, and so now we're heading to respond to collect eiders and then there was a small oil spill at the same time and then we had like a minor problem with so some of the explosions with our piping plover program so it you know it's that none of those things are on my list for to do for that day um, but usually a normal day would be you know some kind of field work where we're monitoring managing researching some kind of wildlife um, it's you know there's still a good amount of office work that isn't as it's not, not what you think of when you picture a wildlife biologist, but we all do have to do a fair amount of report writing and that kind of thing. As a doctor, I find it interesting and challenging to focus just on humans. <laughs> and what you're telling me, right. you've just mentioned a moose and an eider, which I think is a duck. Uh, yes, yes, a duck. duck. And yeah. a Piping plover is a shorebird. Plover is a yeah. shorebird. I've seen yeah. the signs along the beach. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, and then we know about the amphibians that we've talked about and right. reptiles. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, how do yeah. you know so much about all of those different That's species? The wonderful thing, and in, in really, I don't. <laughs> um, I'm much more of a generalist, and in my position now as director, that's that's ideal. So I have a kind of a broad knowledge of a lot of things but not real in-depth and so the department that I work for Maine Fish and Wildlife has um, a whole suite of what we call species specialists and so they focus on either uh, one or two species or a small suite of species so we have someone that focuses just on reptiles and amphibians someone that focuses just on invertebrates someone that focuses just actually moose has their own biologist um, so there's some some of our staff are divided up and they're more generalist and they deal with they have to deal with the whole suite of species in their region and then we have some that focus in the folks that focus do a little more research on those particular uh, animals that they're responsible for what are the responsibilities of the main department of inland fisheries and wildlife so we're responsible for the management and protection and enhancement of uh, wildlife resources in the state so we oversee or everything inland, so we don't deal with the marine stuff, but um, everything from mayflies to moose. So we're responsible for making sure that they have healthy populations, healthy habitats. Um, we do management for those species. We do oversee all the harvest and the bag limits um, for the species that are hunted, which is really just a small portion of the animals we have responsibility for. We do policy around those. 
animals and we you know we do all the recovery for endangered species in the state so it's pretty broad responsibility and then on top of it we try to talk to the public about it and give them some education as to what we're doing and why Last fall, you were at Maine Audubon mm-hmm. um, having a conversation with the public, which I understand was um, was a spirited discussion. <laughs> people were very engaged yeah. from, yeah. from what I hear. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that people are interested in hearing about? Oh, it, I mean, it varies. I would say, in my experience, people just love wildlife. And so they love hearing about all the various projects that we work on. And um, the department has a number of initiatives that we include the public in and so that people can participate and in general and we've done a number of surveys recently of public surveys to sort of document this the people in the state of Maine are overwhelmingly supportive and um, engaged with wildlife so whether it's just the you know gray squirrels in their backyard or birds at their bird feeder or people actively going out trying to see moose or puffins or whatever the case may be um, it's one of the things I love most about Maine is that that people are really connected to their environment more so than, say, in Massachusetts, where I grew up. So is your job easier in some ways than it would be if you were in a more a state with more urban settings? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, a lot of what we do in the department is manage human-wildlife interactions, whether it's positive or not positive. So if there are folks that have issues, if they have you know, uh, you know, raccoons or other issues that our, our job is to try and help those folks deal with those situations. So the more people you have interacting with wildlife, the more opportunities for conflict arise. And so we're lucky in that um, we don't have as many of those kind of co- conflicts or nuisance complaints, as we would call them, uh, as many of our southern states. What about, um, I guess, the infringement of humans upon the wildlife habitat, which I would think is not as much of an issue in Jackman, but probably is more of an issue in Cumberland County? Yeah, yeah. So certainly uh, that is something we deal with every day, and I would say it's one of the more important things that the department works on, and it's one of the lesser known, uh, sort of the less sexy, if you will. Um, aspects of our responsibility. So we do work with our sister agency, the Department of Environmental Protection, and we uh, oversee and we provide comments for all the development projects in the state. And as part of that, we have several different uh, habitat wildlife resources that are mapped um, as protected or significant. So we call them significant wildlife habitats. That includes areas for shorebirds, vernal pools, um, areas for threatened or endangered species, and wading bird waterfowl habitats. A lot of what uh, we have mapped are either sort of water bodies and in the, in the um, kind of the borders around those or riverine systems and kind of a buffer and so the things we look at are habitat for the individual species or you know the individual animal but also then connections so making sure that the animal can get from point a to point b if it needs to and so usually rivers and streams are excellent connectors Um, and so those are kind of critical habitats so we work with dep and provide comments to anybody provide you know applying for a permit to do some kind of develop and and that's a huge por- portion of what we do we also have um, a 
suite of staff that work specifically with towns and try to help towns do long-range planning, um, do comprehensive planning so that they can incorporate what's important for their town, whether it be they want open space or they want the ball fields in the right space, you know, whatever the case may be, we work with those towns to help them try and achieve those goals. Of course, our angle is wildlife habitat, but or fisheries and wildlife habitat, but, um, you know, we work with all the different towns to try and accomplish sort of mutually beneficial goals. One of the things that we ask people when they come in for the radio show is to um, a place in Maine that you love. And mm. I've never had anybody say the Brownfield Bog, <laughs> <laughs> which is, it, it's a beautiful spot. I believe that I canoed past there when I was on the Saco River. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's unique. Yes. Why do yeah. you love that spot? <laughs> so funny. Yeah. People probably pick more sort of... Uh, well-known location. So Brownfield for me is a spot. Uh, ever since I've moved to Maine, um, I've, go I've gone there every year. Uh, it's a fantastic birding location. The things I love about it are it's so close to Portland. So it's, you know, 45 minutes to get to Brownfield Bog. Um, but once you get there, you feel like you are in kind of a vast wilderness area. There's, there's not really many neighbors. There's hardly any sounds. Once you're out in the bog, and I canoe the bog quite a bit, um, you can't, there's no houses, there's just no noise. Uh, and it's just right in the valley of the White Mountains. You can see Mount Washington, you know, so you have this incredible vistas. It's totally quiet, and I probably shouldn't be talking about it on radio because it's totally underutilized, which is what <laughs> I personally like. You know, you don't run into other people very often out there. Um, one of my responsibilities when I worked down in Region A was to every spring we do um, basically bird surveys there. So I would do two or three bird surveys every spring out there. Um, and some of it, you know, in order to meet our protocols for the bird surveys, we'd, I would have to leave my house at like 2.30 in the morning to get to the bog and get in my canoe and get up in the tree stand by like 4.30, quarter or 5 so that I could be ready when the birds started being active. But when you sort of visit a place so often like that, you really, I, at least I become sort of attached to it and intimately familiar with um, just the animals that are there and all the various species of wildlife. So it's always been one of my favorite places and it continues to be. Plus it has wicked cool birds. You know, there's birds that you can you can see there that are really hard to see in other parts of the state, black-billed cuckoo, yellow-throated vireo, um, <coughs> are two kind of my, or yellow-billed cuckoo. Um, to my couple of my favorites. So I would always go there every year to try and find those birds. And, you know. Do you think that um, we focus maybe a little too much on moose? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems as though it's become like the thing that Maine is known for. We have lobsters right. and we have moose. Moose, yeah. And not to disparage moose. I like them. They're fine. Right. But yep. considering yeah. all the other wildlife. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the thing that kind of compelling about moose is that they're big, right? So they're easier to see than a lot of species. And they very often don't run off. So they allow you to watch and observe them. And most all other wildlife does kind of run off, right? Other than, you know, like squirrels might let you watch them. But most other species, most other animals are aware of your presence and they prefer not to be around you. So you know, moose, I think, are appealing to people because they let them observe them. And so there's a sort of a passion about moose. Um, I think people, you know, do 
are, are pretty passionate about moose. It's certainly, you know, hard to not uh, pay attention to the economic value that animal brings to the state and the amount of tourism that um, people come into Maine to see moose. Um, but we do have a lot of other really cool species too, <laughs> you know. So short answer is no. You think that we are not <laughs> overemphasizing the importance of moose. Well, in our state. you know, I when I first started my career at Audubon, my number one goal was always to try and get people to connect with nature in some fashion. I did, didn't matter what it was, whether it was plants, birds, you know, turtles, frogs, just something to get them to connect to nature. And my goal was always once people have a connection and then they become passionate, they're willing to fight for and try and help protect those things. So, you know, for me, I always like if it's moose that connects someone, then great. It doesn't, you know, um, doesn't matter what the kind of trigger is as long as we make those connections with people. So moose allow us to do that. Um, but there are lots of other species, I agree, that that we could probably focus a little bit more on. And to be clear, I have nothing against moose. Just <laughs> anybody who's listening, please don't write me and say, what do you have against them? Because I love them too. They're great. Right, yeah. I also I understand that you were um, very involved with owls at one point when oh, you yes. were at the Audubon. Yeah. And we yeah. still have um, one of our producers, Brittany, who remembers being a right. child and yes. holding an owl in her hand. Right. So clearly yeah. you made a huge impression upon her and probably other I children. I'm surprised that she remembered that. Yeah. 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 I banded um, northern solid owls for about 20 years in my backyard. And uh, I did that sort of in addition to whatever job I had. And it was just um, an opportunity that I was afforded um, through a woman that I used to work with. And um, it's a tremendous um, privilege to, to have that opportunity. And as such, I was pretty adamant that we expose as many people as we could. It's not very often you have an owl, a wild owl in your hand. So um, when I was married and then after I got divorced, I continued to have people to my house, probably 10 or 15 groups a fall, um, two or three nights a week. And almost every single night that there was good weather, we would have at least some people over to uh, see the process. And, you know, so there probably have been a couple, you know, thousand people that have been through. I think for a while I would I would go into the grocery store and um, I would see people and they'd be like, oh, you're the owl lady. <laughs> be like wow that is one thing I do but so I I'd certainly I like to think that uh, some people got an exposure that they didn't have and learned some things there. You mentioned that when you first started in this field there weren't as many women that mm. were doing this mm -hmm. job yeah. and um, that has changed. Yes. So yeah. how changing or is changing. Yeah. How is this happening? Why is it that more women are getting interested in this? It's an interesting question. When I started in the region, I was the only female biologist in one of the regions. And we had several women in our Bangor office, which is more research-based. But um, in the regions, there was only one. Um, no, I was the only female. And uh, I don't know exactly why. Um, but it is changing, and um, you know, to to be honest, I I oversee a lot of the. I don't necessarily get involved with every single one of the interview processes we do. But for a long time, there was just more men applying than women, um, and we did interviews just last um, a month or two ago for a position in um, 
strong in our strong office and they brought me the list of people they were going to interview and and the folks that had reviewed the interviews and they come up with the list and had, they hadn't paid attention and I looked and I said this is the first time I think in the history of the department that we have four men and four women it's equal people that we're interviewing and they'd been like a hundred people that had applied but um so now we have quite a few women and it's probably for the wildlife division it's not quite 50 50 but it's it's still probably 60 40 but I mean I'm the first female director and um, I, I hope that um, as more more women enter the field and more women enter leadership positions that will encourage more people to or more women to get involved in the field so how do you personally stay connected with nature you talked about canoeing in the brownfield bog what other types of things do you do that are outside of the job that you have yeah, I do. I do a lot of hiking and oh, I guess hiking might be an aggressive term. I do a lot of walking in the woods. <laughs> um, I still, you know, I still love to canoe and bike and I, I used to do a, a lot of birding. Um, I don't do as much birding anymore, uh, but I still do. I, I still do a good deal. I pay attention wherever I am to what kind of birds are around me. Um, I garden a lot. You know, I'm, I'm outside if possible. Uh, most of the time in my, in my in my free time so that must be very interesting that you have this position which probably requires a fair amount of office time and paperwork but mm. really your passion is outside mm-hmm. the office and right. probably not as much paperwork right 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 yeah I definitely and it's the challenge I think for a lot of people in this field is that kind of as you move up in um, in the agency there's less and less field time um, and I think uh, I was interviewed a couple of years ago, and it's the first time that in, it's ever occurred to me, but uh, the interviewer asked, you know, what's your favorite thing? What's the best thing about your job? And without thinking, my response was the people I work with. And I got into this field for wildlife, right, and for to protect wildlife. And my whole life, that's all I ever thought about or focused on was protecting wildlife. And and then, and then my answer, without thinking, was the people I work with. And I said, like, hey, when, when did that happen? When did that switch? You know, um, so it was interesting kind of for me to see that. But, you know, now I really do. My job is to make sure that everybody else can do their job. Um, and I still get to go. And, and in some ways, it's, it, it, the, you know, one of the benefits of my job. But I can still call the moose biologist or the bear biologist or the shorebird biologist and say like hey I need a day in the field would you mind if I tag along um and that usually will accommodate me so I I try to get out as much as I can it depends on the season but usually in the summer I have a little more freedom when the legislature is not in session so I try and get out still what are some of the issues that um, have been important to your department in the last few years <sighs> well <coughs> Um, I would say we just finished up a big game plan, which is a 10-year plan for uh, how we're going to manage sort of our four big game species, bear, moose, deer, and turkey. Uh, And um, so making sure that we have the tools that we need to manage species at a population level that's healthy. And so that kind of healthy term is questionable for people because is it it's got to be both healthy for the animal so my our job is you know or at least all of our staff their primary focus is they want healthy wildlife populations they don't want animals that are starving to death or dying of you know heavy parasite loads things like that um 
And but then there's the other component of it also has to be healthy, healthy for people, right? So there's a social caring capacity and a kind of a biological caring capacity. And so our job is to make sure that one doesn't kind of trip the other. Um, so, you know, we could probably have more deer in southern Maine, but that would not be uh, in the best interest of the people that live in southern Maine. So some of, finding some of those balances and how we're going to find a way to move forward, you know, there's, there's no question. We have had two referendums on our bear hunting methods, and um, so that's always kind of lingering and, and making sure that we can maintain a healthy bear population that doesn't have a lot of negative interactions with the public. We're, we've been very lucky so far, and we don't have a lot of um, poorly behaved bears. That's how I would phrase it. With some, some of the other states have really quite a bit more aggressive bears than we have, and so we want to make sure that we can maintain healthy bear populations that are able to kind of coincide with the public that they live around. So I think that's kind of always our goal. For an individual who is interested in getting into your field, somebody who's maybe in high school or early mm -hmm. in college, what's the one thing that you could suggest to them to kind of keep them motivated to study? Yeah, well, it's an awesome job. <laughs> um, it's, you know, I, I don't know of many other opportunities where you really do get to be outside a good portion of the year year round I mean so that's not always a plus for everybody because um, the weather conditions you know can sometimes be a bit extreme um, but you know you get to be outside you get to work with people who are passionate and help protect um, populations of, of wildlife um, so it's a pretty fantastic job um, it is pretty competitive field and there's not uh, you know we only have 45 biologists in the department so it's a pretty Com, you know, tight competitive field. So I encourage people to, and I think this is what I put, is you got to figure out what you love and, and figure out what you're passionate about and, and do that, whether it's birds or reptiles or mammals or um, whatever the case may be, bugs or butterflies, um, and, and find figure out what you're passionate about and just follow that. I've been speaking with Judy Camuso, who is the Director of Wildlife for the Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife. As Director, she oversees the management, protection, and enhancement of birds, mammals, reptiles, and amphibians that call Maine home. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music are by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producers are Paul Koenig and Brittany Cost. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.